Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And welcome back to Menkind, where we chat to a range of brilliant guests about masculinity. Some of them are men, some of them aren't men, and some of them aren't particularly bothered either way. We're interested in men. Yes, obviously you are. And what makes them tick? Where does masculinity come from? How does it affect us? And how could we be better? We might not get a final answer, but we'll have a bloody good go at it. Won't we, Michael? Oh, we'll do our best. Well, hello, Mark. Uh, Michael here, obviously. Um, You know that because my name's on your screen, I'm assuming. But happy birthday to you. Yes, and happy birthday to you as well, Michael, because we're not talking about our actual dates of birth, are we? We're talking about the podcast, which celebrates one year of podcasting now, basically. Yeah, it feels like a long time ago we sat in a, in a recording studio with lovely Riyadh Khalaf, who was our first episode. Um, yeah, one year. It's been a wonderful podcast. We've really enjoyed doing it over the last year. It's not the end. It sounds like I'm talking about a funeral, but we just love it. It's been a real passion project for us both, and I... I've been very moved by lots of our conversations. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Weird to think that um, we had never met in the flesh until that first day that we talked to Riyadh and a couple of other people. Yeah, we're not the only podcast probably to have started up, you know, during the pandemic, but we must be one of the only uh, genuine friendships to have begun in those circumstances, if I may be so bold. Yes, I would say no other podcasts are friends, um, actually. So it's nice that we are the only one that does that. So the unique quality we have. They're all liars. Yeah, they're all (laughs) shamming this kind of intimacy and friendship, whereas we've actually (laughs) discovered it for ourselves in real life. And we've also discovered quite a bit about masculinity or masculinity, as you uh, said the other week. Yes, as I butchered it in the uh, in the intro. Well, we tried to record that about 15 times. Now, we are going to jump onto our guests shortly. Well, not jump onto them. Um, we recorded it over Zoom, so that was physically impossible. Um, but we are going to be taking a very quick series break after this episode over the Christmas period. Uh, we've got a lot going on. We'll talk a bit more about that in the outro. But Mark, would you like to introduce this week's guest? Yes, this week we are lucky to have, well, it's another drag star we haven't had a drag artist for a while now but these are always very popular and it is well it's a case of Victoria Scon. Yes, indeed. Lovely Victoria Scon, who some of you may know from RuPaul's Drag Race UK Series 3, which recently concluded. Um, she was the first ever cisgender female contestant, um, but she's much more than Drag Race, as you will hear in this wonderful episode. So we'll stop talking and let you enjoy it. You have a nice time with this, please. Mark Watson here. Michael Chakraverty is on my screen, and so is today's amazing guest. It is... 
Victoria Scon. Hi, Victoria. How are you? Hello there. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, yeah, we're a bit lower energy than you in the morning. I think this is one of our morning chats, which regular listeners <laughs> will know. Uh, we're not always quite as sparky <laughs> as we should be, but you... Um... Victoria is pretty much here before the rest of us, and so she's been raring to go for at least a couple of hours, I'd imagine. Yeah, one of the most <laughs> punctual guests we've ever had as well. The rare example of a podcast that's starting on time, this. <laughs> Especially for drag queens. Drag queens are notoriously late, so I make sure that I'm not. <laughs> you said this before we started. Why is this? Drag queens just generally disrespectful of time and appointments. Oh, absolutely. Disrespectful, disregarding of other people's lives. Um, that's the first rule of being a drag queen, actually. Be late and tardy with your time. So why don't you fit into that? What are you doing wrong? <laughs> I'm trying to change the world one early time at a time. <laughs> one appointment at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. I think it's also part of being a cis woman that I'm just make sure that I am on time, which is really bad. But You don't have the sense of entitlement, no. maybe. Exactly. <laughs> I've got to work twice as hard in every department. So. <laughs> We've accidentally gone to our proper topic here without even trying. That's true. <laughs> Sorry, I yes. just can't help but bring it up all the time. <laughs> it's what we want, but we should probably ask you to at least introduce yourself before we get into the good stuff. Well, my name is Victoria Scon. I'm the Camp Cabaret Cardiff disco diva with a lot of spunk. The spunk is usually on my neck, but I did wash for you this morning. You don't have to include that <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I'm from RuPaul's Drag Race UK season three yes that was pretty groundbreaking wasn't it I mean the first across the global franchise's first ever cisgender female queen right yes yes and I love that terminology of it you know terminology and vocabulary is always evolving and cisgendered woman I find is the best way to describe that because I think the term AFAB has been thrown around even by myself but I think that I'm learning all the time and that's probably not maybe the best terminology to use. And AFAB means for people who won't know assigned female at birth so why would you choose cisgender woman rather than AFAB? Yeah it's interesting because I think we've even had people say AFAB earlier on the podcast like you I'm always trying to keep up with what is well what's right. Yes so, so am I so assigned female at birth Yes, so that could be not inclusive of our trans sisters and trans Uh brothers. Like, say, if there was a drag king who was a trans man, they are not included at all in the drag race franchise so you know they need their representation yeah. as well, well yeah. yet yet exactly one hopes. <laughs> have applications always been open to cisgender women how did the application process work for you applying as a cisgender woman yeah, yeah i heard that you were basically grumpy about the fact that there hadn't been cisgender women and you made your point by literally <laughs> becoming that thing yourself <laughs> being the change as they say that is very true you've done your research well i'm, I'm simplifying <laughs> your journey a little bit probably <laughs> well as sort of rupaul says they only ever screen for charisma uniqueness nerve and talent but applications have never been been sort of you know you can't apply if you own a vagina or this or that but you're very right in saying that I kind of thought to myself how can I possibly moan about this show not having a cisgendered woman if I'm not even applying myself so I applied and I bloody well got on and look where we are now and it escalated quite quickly (laughs) careful what you wish for your bluff was called it was it was yeah falls on me yeah and how have you found the reaction to be I imagine well the queer community often likes to think of itself as above things like misogyny and that they're inclusive and all these things and um, sadly well, that's not the case how has the reaction been for you? Uh, generally for me I think it's been very very good very nice I was prepared for the very worst because mm. there's a big gap actually from filming to announcements that's a long time to wind yourself up and 
think and overthink and think some more about what the reaction is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> but I was very, very positively surprised. Uh, there was a few nasty Nigels, but that was to be expected. I expected far worse. <laughs> yeah, it saves time if they're called Nasty Nigel on Twitter, because then you sort of know what it's going to be like. <laughs> That's actually their handles. Yeah, who did accounts. <laughs> you can mute the word nasty and then you're basically fine. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but from the queer community itself, I think it was very positive. In the queer scene, especially specifically the drag scene, this is not a new thing. You know, I did not invent drag for cis women. I'm certainly not the first and I most definitely won't be the last so you know we were like yeah finally you know about bloody time yeah it just felt normal right exactly let's dive into our first question I'm sure I'll end up coming back to some of these things our first question that we always ask is about your first brush with masculinity your first encounter with it what does it look like for you masculinity I see myself in my dad a lot. Wait, I think that's the other way around. That'll be a bit wrong if it was the other way around, actually. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> considering they're Victorian, yeah. that's a different podcast. Either it's a little bit odd if you take it literally. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, actually. But I, I see my dad in myself more and more every day, actually. The more I'm embracing the masculinity in myself and my dykeness, I'm seeing my dad mm. in my actions, in the way I speak, in the way I hold myself, in the way I sit. But I see it as a very positive thing. I don't know if that's fitting with the podcast, but no, I... it absolutely is. <laughs> yeah, the podcast is not sort of antagonistic to masculinity. No. We're just sort of like open-eyed about the different ways it can go well or badly for people, I think, basically. Yes. Well, I personally seeing it as a very positive thing. The more I embrace my masculinity, because... I've always maybe been encouraged to suppress that. And I would always look up to my dad so, so much when I was younger and, and now how he held himself, how he could control a room. Yeah, I don't know why, but I like being more and more like my dad every day. Mm. He's a very authoritative person um, and he was very much like traditional father of the house, man of the house. But I quite enjoyed that at the time. It's nothing that I want to live my life by. Like I'm not going to be in a a male female relationship well if we are I'm the man but um yeah (laughs) Yeah. something that I enjoyed when you were growing up you mentioned kind of suppressing masculinity was it something that you felt you were drawn to but couldn't kind of fulfill what did that relationship feel like when you were younger I think so I think I was always a bit of a well that old phrase of like a tomboy but I guess that was the phrase when I was young young but I was encouraged to go into ballet from the age of three and I've been in dancing and dance schools, dance lessons since then, up till I left my dance college at like 22. In dancing, you're always encouraged to be sort of slender and feminine and the very opposite of masculine. But I think inherently and naturally, I'm not I'm not that feminine at all, really. And I was always encouraged. I have this thing with hair about having long hair. My mum made me have long hair. So I've got this weird tie with hair and being scared to cut it off. But I've kind of done that recently. I've got a mullet under here, but it's outgrown. But yeah, I think it's a <laughs> real tie with like masculinity and hair. It's weird. Mm. Did you know that you liked women or at what point were you across that as a young person? So I think I sort of self-identified as bisexual from about the age age of 15 but I didn't really speak to anyone about it quite young yeah but then I didn't really come out officially properly to my parents until I was like 25 right because I was in a sort of long-term relationship with a gentleman who actually is gay now himself so we were just like two <laughs> queer people that fell in love as humans the two of you could have saved yourselves a lot of time then really we could have but he's now my agent so huh. we're best friends it's <laughs> a long flirtation process to get an agent I know but it paid off fair play <laughs> <laughs> It's really interesting, this idea of hair and how that expresses it part of your identity, I suppose. Were there other kind of signifiers of yourself that you felt that you weren't able to fully convey? I have a very vivid memory of when I was in senior school. I think I must have been about 12 or 13. 
And because I was going to dance classes my whole life, I was fit as a fiddle and I was very slender. And I had a six pack, which I could only dream of having now. But I remember being in a trampoline class. They used to get the trampoline at my school out like once a year, right? <laughs> we were on the trampoline. Yeah, same way as you get to watch a film once a year at school, maybe. Exactly. Or like, you know, they used to get them ropes out. We could never go on them ropes. Yeah, I loved the, the ropes. ropes. I could never get up them, but I loved to look at them. I'm not sure I ever saw the ropes come into play at my school. I think you just knew they were there, but you couldn't really imagine what it would be like. All these schools must have spent a fortune on these like kits and then never got them out <laughs> yeah they just look good when you're sharing parents around an open day but uh, at no point did you ever see a kid on the ropes now <laughs> did you have those massive wooden ladders as well alongside of the walls that yeah. would never be folded out they always just lived against the yeah. wall yeah the ropes were part of that at my school it was all like this one big unit that yeah. would never get dragged out the more we look back on our school days they were basically we were just living in sort of museums of gym equipment for no real reason <laughs> <laughs> But there you were on your trampoline. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was on this trampoline and um, I was jumping on it and my shirt must have lifted up and the cool girls must have seen my six pack. And I just remember getting teased so much from then onwards about being a boy, looking like wow. a boy because I had a muscly figure. And that like traumatised me and I went home and I was like, I don't want to do dancing anymore, even though I'd done it for like 10 years at this point. I wanted to not look like that anymore because I'd been teased about looking masculine. That's a very triggering memory. That's wild to me. Yeah, and it's a good example of how oppressive the expectations of gender are when you're a kid because people like me as boys didn't have a six pack and also got teased for that. So mm. it shows you that you can pretty much end up traumatised by almost any conception of your body uh, at that age. And it's a shame. Exactly. And then not even that long later in my life, I was teased for being too curvaceous and not being slender enough. And it, interestingly, it's a, a conversation I had with Crystal on the show, episode two, mm. where I'm not sure how much they showed of it, but Crystal was able to talk about her being teased in school for being too slender. So yeah. Crystal's obviously born male, but was teased for looking too feminine. So it was something that we could have a chat about, about sort of the opposite spectrums of that. It was really fascinating to have that chat and it was really good that some of it was on TV. Yeah, we spoke to Crystal on one of our first episodes. Oh no, different Crystal, Mark, there's two. You can't have more than one person called Crystal, get out. <laughs> this Crystal's got a K. <laughs> Next you'll be telling me there's more people called Michael out there, what am I going to do? This Crystal's less hairy than the one we spoke to. Yeah, it does make sense actually. Well, <laughs> she just shaves it off. <laughs> <laughs> Victoria, you mentioned on the show as well, you disclosed a bit about eating disorders and things like that. Mm. Um, when did that sort of kind of come into play for you? So that was a few years after the six pack incident. I'd say around sort of 14, 15, I was being told by my dance teachers and people around me that I was too curvaceous, too podgy to be a dancer, because that was always the goal for me to be a dancer or in musical theatre. So that sort of triggered me then wanting to try and be more skinny and less fat, basically. Uh, I was not fat by any means. I'm definitely nowhere near where I am now. But yeah, I was sort of mentally manipulated into, into an eating disorder. It was awful, yeah. It's a grim thing, isn't it? Because dancing and that world, dancing, ballet, all this stuff is sort of enshrined as one of the most feminine things you can aspire to growing up. And yet, you're basically encouraged to give up some of your natural femininity, like you're just sort of steered towards as much of a boy-like figure. You're really caught in a vice if that's the life that you're in, I would think. You're being told that girls are meant to dance, but also if you look too much like a girl, i.e. are curvy, then you can't do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's actually wild yeah. when you unpack it. It leaves a tiny window of people that can thrive. Mm. Yeah, and it was not something that I wanted to entertain. So after quite a few years in that sort of training industry and going into theatre, I just thought, I can't do this. My body is not built that way. I'm very broad, naturally, built like a brick shit house. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just thought it wasn't for me anymore. And I was wildly unhappy because it was a very vicious circle because you get praised when you lose weight. Mm. So it's like this 
vicious circle of yeah. positive enforcement of being unwell. It's awful. Mm. Did you at any point consider Brick Shithouse as a drag name? <laughs> it's a very good drag name. Write that yeah. down. Write that down. <laughs> Someone will have it, surely. If I was a drag king, definitely. It sounds a little bit like you kind of fell out of love with the idea of dancing in musical theatre, but from what I understand, you kind of still love the musical theatre world. So how did you kind of rekindle that or keep that going when you've kind of been faced with all this negativity? Do you know how I describe theatre for me and musical theatre? It's like Stockholm Syndrome, where you like fall in love with your oppressor. <laughs> is that the right terminology for it? That's exactly it. That is the right term. I think anyone in the performing arts knows what you mean as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are wildly in love with this thing and you absolutely can't escape it and it destroyed my life, but I can't get rid of it. It's part of me forever. I don't think I fell out of love with theatre. I will always love it and obviously it's a big part of what I do now because I'm a singer in drag I've never lip synced in my life even on the show if you play the audio I was singing (laughs) 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 screaming in fact up until the knee pop (laughs) even when you're meant to be lip syncing you still were basically singing yeah like the equivalent of being muted on zoom sort of thing I hope they never release it though because I don't know what it sounded like after that knee pop yeah I really need you to know for those not familiar Victoria did a knee slide and popped a knee and ended up having to leave the competition in episode Three? Two. Well, it happened on episode one, but I didn't leave until episode three. Yeah, I imagine the audio of that wasn't too pretty. No, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> so yeah, obviously I've, I'm a live singer, so theatre's a big part of my life, so I don't think I'll ever be able to escape it. But I just fell out of love with trying to change myself and hurt myself, basically, in the process. Yeah. In general, does drag... I mean, obviously, you've said that your general relationship with theatre is and all sorts of performances is troubled, like it is for most of us. But mm-hmm. is it fair to say drag offers you well, offers anyone an opportunity to perform, put yourself out there without the constraints of like dance or Does it attract people because it's just a slightly more all-inclusive forum for people to be who they are or a version of themselves? Yeah, absolutely. You've nailed it on the head there. Half the drag queens in the scene, especially in London, are failed musical theatre performers. <laughs> so this is where we all congregate <laughs> and um, try to make a career. I can understand that. <laughs> Half the stand-ups are failed actors, to be fair. Exactly. I think everyone has come from that sort of industry some way or another because when you do ultimately fail in musical theatre which a lot of the percentage of people that are trained in it do you cannot end up doing nothing to do with the arts I think Mm. I think it's such a big part of your life you need to find some way to weave it into your life whether it be a hobby or still part of a career but just a slightly different route than you first intended yeah when did you encounter drag when did you start performing as Victoria drag first got into my life when I would do pantomimes when I was very very young so it's, again, probably a bit of Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A bit of subliminal trauma from being terrorised by Widow Twanky when I was about five years old, I think. <laughs> yeah, it will do things to you, that sort of history. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was in Pantos very young, always sort of been surrounded by it. I don't know how, but I have loved drag for as long as I can remember. And I would sort of go out uh, when I was training in London to Soho or to Two Brewers in Clapham and watch the local drag queens. It was just part of the culture of being queer and being in London. Mm. But then I really didn't enter trying to do drag until I did Drag Idol in 2017 or 2018. One of those years. Yeah. And I entered Drag Idol, which is a competition in the UK, all the sort of local bars around the UK, not all of them, but, you know, sort of one or two from each city put on this competition. And then there's a big final, usually in London, to find the UK's next drag 
not superstar because I'm sure that's copyrighted somewhere in the world. <laughs> you know, before Drag Race, we had Drag Idol, basically. Yeah, surely people other than RuPaul are allowed to say some words. <laughs> I was like, Am I going to get sued? <laughs> we'll take the hit. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, the UK's next drag winner. I don't know, Drag Idol. Next non-branded drag person of some yeah, kind. Drag artist person performer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and did you always find the reactions to you doing drag positive? Oh God, no. From the scene, definitely not. No? The first time I did drag, it's not the first time I did drag, but the first time I sort of put myself out there and did a performance. You know, we all play around in our bedrooms before we go out into the world. I was told, you're not a real drag queen, you're in the wrong competition, you're more of a cabaret performer. And I was like, okay. So I entered every other venue in London until one of them put me through. And then I ended up being in the final for Drag Idol, which is like five rounds down the line. So, you know, I took on board what they said. I made my appearance more exaggerated. I bought a wig, which was probably a good start. Um, (laughs) And I did more patter. I spoke on the mic more. And I got to the final somehow. That's quite interesting though, isn't it? Because there's an element of gatekeeping there. We're saying, well, you're not drag enough because you're not doing X Mm -hmm. or Y or Z. Is that still something you see in the scene now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But this is why I think if you look at the sort of cis women drag queens, all of us, near enough, have very exaggerated makeup. More exaggerated than how the non-cis women drag queens are painting at the moment. Everyone wants to look like a woman at the moment, like very natural and whatever. Mm. But that's not what I'm about. I want to look like a clown on acid, basically, at all times. (laughs) (laughs) I want to look like the most exaggerated caricature of a woman. I don't want to look like, you know... I don't want to look like me. That's so boring. I don't want to look like Emily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is why a lot of us wear exaggerated makeup because we want to say, look at this change. Look, we can do drag too. Look how different we look, which is a bit of a shame. But I, I totally understand it because I have it every day. I'm like, oh, I need to look really different. I need to have a transformation. Otherwise, I'm not doing drag. And they're going to think I'm not a real drag queen. When you said Emily there, I, I pondered for the first time that your name actually isn't Victoria Scone, even though it'd be a very surprising name <laughs> yeah, to have. I know everyone thinks that my <laughs> real name is Victoria, but yeah, it's Emily. <laughs> Ms. Scone. <laughs> It's really fascinating. You're a woman exploring drag in a male-dominated environment, particularly in the mainstream, perhaps. Drag is a very male-dominated environment. How do you negotiate that? And how do you negotiate the expectations that people kind of have of you in that world? Mm, I think... Because if we talk about like the nitty gritty of what you actually have to deal with in the drag scene, it's being backstage a lot of the time and, Mm. you know, getting changed or being in the environment with people, you know, conversing and trying to be on a sort of similar level as people. So you can just get on and have a good time, build a relationship. Hang out. Exactly. That is a lot of what drag is. You know, we're only on stage. Well, some people are on stage for about two seconds, but, you know, I'll do about an hour on stage. (laughs) But, you know, you spend... Name their names, (laughs) (laughs) Finish them. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, say we've got an hour show, you're spending two hours getting ready backstage before, you've got an hour after having a drink and having a chat. So really a lot of it is spending time together. So I think I've had to put myself on a sort of level with them where I'm confident. You know, we don't see, I don't see enough women being confident in what they do, confident in a room of men. Mm. And effectively, I've just had to be the loudest one in the room and make myself be like that until they'll listen to me and see me on a similar level as themselves. But I find this all the time out of drag, even now because people don't recognise me and it's very telling. People will just look past me like I'm a bloody piece of paper and like I'm not there like, oh, just another woman in a gay bar. But as soon as they realise who I am now, or even before Drag Race, as soon as they've seen me perform, it's like, oh, oh, I didn't realise you were good. Oh, you're actually camp, aren't you? It changes. It's so weird. It's fascinating. I still get it down every day. It's so funny. And where do you think that kind of, that assumption that a woman doing drag won't be good has come from? Where it's come from, I think it's just a lack of representation and a lack of seeing anyone in drag. People say to me all the time, oh my God, you've changed my mind. Or I didn't think women could do drag until I saw you. Because they've probably never seen one before. And that's 
absolutely fine. Mm. You know, if it's not put in front of your face and you're not force fed it, you know, on telly, then how are you going to see it? So I completely understand. But I think this is a similar thing with drag kings. People say, oh, well, I don't like drag kings as much. Or, oh, I, I don't think they would be as entertaining. Have you really gone and seen a drag king show? Can you really tell me you've tried and seen one and thought, nah, it's not as good? Probably not. Mm. I think if people had drag queens thrust in front of them, you know, as they've had me thrust in front of them, I think people would fall in love with them. And did you, I mean, where did you get the idea? Like, did you see people like the future you or were you blazing a trail without really knowing who you were following? Did you have role models in the field of drag, I suppose is what I'm asking? I did, absolutely. Uh, some of them being cis women, some of them being trans women, some of them being proper old school drag queens. Because I, my style of drag is very, very old school, mm. which is why I think I blend the traditional and the current quite well, because I'm quite palatable for the old school drag queens, which is maybe I've had to make myself palatable so that I could work. Maybe, maybe not. Like all of us do. <laughs> exactly. You know, if I went on stage for an hour and talked about my vagina to a room of gay men at 2am at Brewers, I don't think I'm going to be very bookable. But if I go on stage and I sing 80s songs and make people laugh for an hour, then I'm very bookable and they'll probably have me back, which is how I've made a career. I can see why you go with the songs rather than the vagina chat. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, mean, I don't think I would even want to hear someone talk about their vagina for an hour. <laughs> no, maybe half an hour. Well. <laughs> well, I think some men could do with listening, to be honest. Yeah, sure. <laughs> True. But, you know, this is why I call myself the Trojan horse of drag. You know, I sneak in <laughs> in disguise as a traditional drag queen and then pow, vagina. <laughs> and they don't even realise half the time. <laughs> but yeah, I did have inspirations from, like, I really look up to Holstar. Holstar's a drag queen in the UK who's been doing drag, who's a cis woman, for literally 18 years. Mm-hmm. 18 years. And... I think she's amazing and probably deserves, a, well, definitely deserves a lot more recognition. Um, TT Bang. TT Bang was on Drag SOS, which was on Channel 4, I believe. TT's brilliant. TT's amazing, incredible visual artist, incredible performer, and is much more political than I in terms of her performance. So I think, you know, really, we could all do with a bit of TT thrusted in our face. <laughs> I'd listen to TT talk about her vagina for an hour, actually. That would be quite interesting. <laughs> We're getting closer and closer to curating a festival of vagina chat shows here, whether we intend it or not. <laughs> Are you going to fund this? I would, I'm very interested in <laughs> <laughs> I'm not logistics. I'm just the ideas guy, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on it. Right, let's circle back to this. Good work, guys. Um, <laughs> put a pin in that. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so traditional drag queens as well, like Danny LaRue, Kerry Dupree from Wales. But they're so traditional that sort of Kerry Dupree actually refers to themselves as a female impersonator as opposed to a drag queen. Mm-hmm. But they are the top tier best at what they can do. So I very much look up to them. And this is why there's so much contention about the way drag race represents people right about the absence of representation of certain areas because enormous swathe of the country their whole idea of drag is shaped by this one tv show at least for now oh absolutely it's horrible to think actually it's all anyone is looking towards at the moment and all anyone is aiming for which is maybe silly to say for myself because i am very fortunate to have been on the show but it's quite disheartening that people are just starting drag to do the show or it's the only goal now Mm. It, it is it's really taken over And we're only a small little island, really, compared to America. We definitely are. And there's only so many drag performers that we can make here. (laughs) So everyone's going to have been on at one point. (laughs) We're going to run out. (laughs) Yeah, it'd become like the X Factor, where there was almost no one walking around that hadn't been on it. Exactly. Oh, it's quite worrying, actually. (laughs) Everyone's been on Drag Race. But there are people who aren't allowed currently on Drag Race due to the format and the way the format works, like drag kings and other types of drag artists, drag people performer persons. Why do you think... (laughs) uh, 
You like that one? Drag PPPs, yeah. Drag people perform a person. Drag PPPs! Drag triple P. <laughs> the triple P's of drag. Why do you oh, think... That's the safest way of saying <laughs> Regular listeners will know Michael's extremely cautious about terminology. He will generally just default saying, people, people, people. <laughs> For such a respectful podcast, we live in such terror of being cancelled that we hardly use any words at all in some episodes. <laughs> There's a tour manager that went on tour with me and he just calls us humans now. He's like, yeah, come drag on, humans. humans. <laughs> yeah. Just give it up. So much easier. Oh, I love that. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So yes, uh, thinking about the drag triple P's, why do you think, obviously there's an area about representation in there, but why do you think drag kings haven't had that platform? And where does the kind of negative perception of them come from? Is that misogyny? Yeah, it's an interesting thing to someone like me from the outside, very much from the outside of the whole drag world, because, and we have talked about this before, it's easy for someone like me instinctively to think that drag is all about inclusivity and the celebration of difference. Mm-hmm. But you think that about a lot of queer institutions in your brain, you make a shortcut to thinking that must mean they all get on just lovely, whoever they are. Mm. And it's amazing to find how much that's often not the case, that there's gatekeeping even within a gated community, as it were. Oh, there absolutely is, yes. Yeah, misogyny is definitely rife in the queer scene and in the drag scene. I mean, if you want to talk about like gender pay gaps, surely mm. drag has the biggest gender pay gap going because there's like no God, yeah. cis women working. <laughs> yes, so drag kings, I think, in my opinion... Here's me trying not to get cancelled now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're all going down together the way it seems. (laughs) Let's hold hands. This is my take on it. So obviously drag queens, which involves everyone, so cis women, trans people, whatever, we are definitely more in the forefront. But inherently drag queens started as trans women, gay men. And I think that there is a sense of scaredness. That's not a word. Sort of... Some would say fear, Victoria. <laughs> fear, yes, that's a good word. Thank yeah. you, darling. <laughs> Scaredness did go across fairly well, though, yes. Scaredness. <laughs> I think it started as more sort of, yeah, fear and not necessarily gatekeeping, but trying to create a safe space for themselves that was maybe inherently not involving of cis straight women mm. and straight men that was a safe space for themselves. And maybe that included just mainly gay men at the time. I'm thinking sort of like... 
old New York for some reason, like, mm-hmm. you know, Stonewall times, where it was literally like illegal to be gay. So I understand that there was like a fear and they've built themselves a safe space where there would be trans people, gay people and drag kings were there too. But obviously majority drag queens. And I understand that. And also drag has been in the UK for as long as it has been in America, in my opinion. I think we bloody started it. I think it came from Shakespeare times when women Mm. weren't allowed on stage. So men had to play the female roles, which is so mad because we've now come full circle and like cis women still aren't allowed to be drag queens. So it's kind of flipped around. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it's funny when you hear sort of old reactionary people going, like there'll be an all-female Macbeth or something and people get furious going, what? hang on, women are allowed to play men now. And you think, let me just talk to you about the original Shakespeare plays. Yeah. <laughs> Rewind. It's something that's come up before, actually. We often have asked drag artists in the past, how did your relationship with drag start? And they normally do say they were doing versions of drag before they even knew that was what it was. You know, drag mm. is much more inherent in all of our understanding of performance than we actually realised. Absolutely. When I was younger, I didn't even think about it, but I played Seymour Crailborn in Little Shop of Horrors when I was like 10 or something. So really, that was my first experience of drag. So that's quite camp, but it's very adorable photos. And we talk about panto dames, but there's also, what do you call the leading boy in a panto? You know, like the principal hmm. principal boy? There's normally a woman being a man. Like mm. in Dick Whittington, it's normally a woman playing yeah. Dick Whittington. Or like Peter Pan, they do that as well, I think. Yeah, exactly. But we've somehow decided that we're just going to focus on the man in the dress, not the lady in trousers. Mm, very true. In very basic terms. Yeah. Principal boy sounds like a phrase you might use, Michael, when discussing how your love life was going recently. He's <laughs> <laughs> my principal boy. Yeah. Well, he's the principal boy. but uh... <laughs> He's my understudy boy. <laughs> there are a couple more on the books, just in case. A case of illness. Here's the swing. <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> Gradually, I'm starting to get used to bantering on your level. Anyway, but you were making an important point, Victoria, which is, well, I think you're saying the, the sort of obsessive cliqueiness that can happen in drag initially started from an understandable place, which was yes. having to ring fence a place that was just for us. Absolutely. Us being those people, because they've been completely deprived of that by everything. But then over time, that becomes, I think, pulling up the drawbridge is the phrase, like, right, well, we're okay here now. No one else can come in. Yes, yeah. Sort of creating like a, we've created our bubble so well that now we're not really letting anyone else in Mm. and women can and are queer and that really confuses me sometimes that you know Mm. I'll still be looked at like oh there's a woman in this bar I think men honestly forget that women can be queer sometimes or they're you know it could be a trans woman or a trans man Mm. we all belong in these spaces like there was a situation recently at a queer event like a convention let's say um, and someone was tweeting photos of the convention saying look at all these women at this event this is supposed to be a queer event and I went how do you know that every single one of them women isn't queer or how do you know that's not a woman with her Mm. queer son or a woman with their trans daughter that's just come out like how do you know that situation how are you gatekeeping incredible why would you think just by glancing yeah. at anybody that you had any idea, <laughs> really, given it. what we know about the complexity of gender and identity? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That really rolled me up. I wonder whether there's an element, thinking back to kind of those Stonewall times, as you said, when it was legal to be gay and having to kind of suppress elements of yourself. I mean, there's a, a very sweeping broad generalisation here, but lots of queer or gay men particularly had to suppress lots of femininity when they were growing up when they were younger just in a way as you described kind of suppressing elements of your masculinity and drag drag queens as a way to kind of express and celebrate that femininity in a way that's sort of freeing I suppose perhaps there's an element of resisting the masculinity because that's what they're being forced into every day but I think in resisting that you sort of close the door right to a whole Mm. other lot of people who suppress that in themselves would you think that would make sense does that feel right yeah absolutely and um I I understand it completely and and I'm always very 
understanding i try to be understanding of, of situations like this i also think it comes from a space of not loneliness but in the queer community we get to choose our own family mm. and i understand that there has to absolutely be a sense of that in queer spaces and in queer bars and yeah safe spaces so i understand why queer men would like to be surrounded by other queer men i understand that but i think um looking at sort of my generation and below we are completely mixing in genders because you know now gender is a construct tear it apart you know it's a spectrum and sexuality mm. is a spectrum i think we're all becoming far more inclusive i do see a positive light and a positive future where masculinity doesn't exist anymore and or if it does you know it, yeah. it's by choice and we can all choose how we present and that's what i'm hoping for anyway and presumably drag has got quite a big part to play in helping to tear up sort of rigid ideas of masculinity femininity because it, you know its whole one well, maybe not its purpose but one of its big functions is to allow people to play endlessly with these definitions and sort of abandon them in the end absolutely you completely get to choose how you present you know, I suppose people would expect me to be a drag king and people ask, oh, why aren't you a drag king? You know, you're a cis woman, you're a lesbian. So, you know, surely you're a drag king. But I just didn't want to be. I enjoy being masculine out of drag and I enjoy playing with my femininity in drag. Sometimes I might want to wear a suit in drag. You know, oh, that's so masculine. You know, we Ooh. could just present the whole <laughs> terrifying. Shockwaves. <laughs> a suit with boobs? I don't understand. <laughs> you could present however you like and no one can tell you what you have to look like. You can look like a jar of jam one day and you know I used to play with food a lot so you know food has no gender I used to literally dress up like food because mm. that was my kink <laughs> is that why you chose a food drag name <laughs> I think it is you know I, and it's also because I wanted to reclaim being a curvaceous woman but I love food in drag I don't know why I love I think it's panto as well wearing a giant jam very on my, panto yeah, isn't it yeah it is it is giant jam jar on my head that is my happy place <laughs> well everyone's got to have a happy place so i've never tried that to be fair maybe that's mine as well exactly join us uh, we often ask about role models and you've already spoken about quite a few role models in the drag community but we've spoken a lot about drag kings already and i wondered whether a good spin on this question could be can you give us some drag kings for listeners to go and look up and learn more about yeah good idea absolutely please follow chio so i've just come off a tour with chio oh, he's for brilliant. halloween i know and you know we've self-proclaimed chio as our Mr. Gay UK whether they like it or not you is Mr. Gay UK (laughs) incredible performer stunning gorgeous trans man kind of exudes it just literally like confidence seeps out of Chio's pores and I just want to like bottle it up and smear it on my face. That'd be nice. Very sexy performances as well. Very. There's um, an incredible drag king in Cardiff who, you know, we don't have very many here called Justin Drag and they <laughs> are an incredible singer, incredible performer. They now take over the show I used to do in Cardiff. So please follow Justin Drag. Adam All. Bojangles. Adam All is brilliant. Yes. Adam All is incredible. Yeah, and Adam All is married to Apples Derriere, who is a cis woman drag performer. Incredible as well. Literally on the West End in Death Drop. Yeah, we're making moves. Yeah, well, Apple Derriere, she's currently a swing in Death Drop, mm-hmm. isn't she? Covering all seven parts, yep. no matter what the gender yep. is, which is pretty... Oh, that's incredible. Incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amazing. So kind of coming towards the end of the podcast, we always ask people about three qualities that they would build into a person. And it's your choice. That person could be a man or that could be a person, if you think those two... A human. <laughs> a people person performer. A PPP, yeah. What would you build into a people person performer person? Of some kind. Man, woman, non-binary, them. <laughs> person <laughs> three qualities <laughs> what was the question <laughs> if you were creating a person with absolutely no properties of any kind <laughs> with the most inoffensive identity you could possibly imagine about whom no one will ever tweet us angrily yeah what do you think are three good basic qualities to put into a we'll say a person we'll say a human <laughs> um three qualities that i would like them to have would be compassion 
and to go into that would be sort of a sense of self-awareness of others at all times around you. I think people forget that a lot. We can mm. get maybe a bit caught up in ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's it, really? No. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever bailed out on one before. <laughs> oh, God, what more could you want in life? Let me think what my girlfriend has and what quality she has, because she is like the perfect person to me, actually. No, no the perfect people person. Perfect people person, not performer, but nearly, nearly. <laughs> I I was th- do you know what? I don't really care about people. <laughs> Victoria's gone, thank people. you very much. No, I'm joking, I do. Oh, okay, then. If I'm actually thinking about how I have to interact with people, hygienic Ooh. would be nice. <laughs> no one's ever touched on hygiene in the history of this question. Compassionate, hygienic. <laughs> and confident in themselves. Just assured, self-assured. The compassionate, hygienic, confident person. But not like too much, not arrogant. It's just that valuing yourself sort of helps you to value other people, yeah. I suppose, isn't it? Being uh, sure in yourself helps you to respect the values of other people as well. Yes. Hygiene is a separate department. I know, but I think it's valid. Oh, of course it's... <laughs> I'm not saying don't wash your hands. All your bits. I learned that some men don't wash between their bum cheeks. Mm. It's not horrible. Yeah, I heard this because apparently it's like gay. Fellas, is it gay to wash between your bum cheeks? <laughs> oh, how stupid. That's the most toxic masculinity thing I've ever heard. You can contact us usually email address yeah. <laughs> call in now <laughs> thank you so much victoria this has been wide ranging <laughs> it's been a lively chat for the morning especially I'd yeah. Say, yeah. i have a sudden need to go and wash my ass now though <laughs> we can all do that and if you're listening go and do that as well wash your ass wash your hands have a nice evening and apart from doing all three of those things where can people find you victoria washing my ass <laughs> that's my new show <laughs> Where can they find me? Um, on all social media platforms, that Victoria's gone. I've also got a solo tour coming out in January. Just oh, a little bab. a little babby tour. But it's already sold out in Cardiff and it's nearly sold out in London. Oh, brilliant. That'll be in January and you can buy that via my socials, but on the Club Kids website as well. Brilliant. It's called Jam Packed. A bit like in for a penny, in for a pound meets Barbara Streisand in the park. Amazing. Thank you so much, Victoria. That was genuinely brilliant. <laughs> Thank you, Victoria. What did we talk about? Oh, not much, but it was pretty fun. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Well, there we are. Victoria's gone. One of the most riotous episodes we've had, I think, in terms of um, the amount of laughter and uh, filth, actually. <laughs> it was quite raucous and we recorded it quite early in the morning, but I think both of us were kind of exhausted from laughing. <laughs> A really lovely conversation. Do go and uh, find Victoria's gone on all the social medias. Um, so we did tease a mid-series break earlier, Mark. Yes, well, the thing is, we were sort of hoping, I think, to get through another block of 30 episodes before we paused again, which is what we did um, with the first kind of tranche of episodes. But the fact is, it is now nearly Christmas. Um, Coop spends around 29 hours an episode editing. It's hard to track down guests uh, this time of year. Christmas is just a busy time uh, generally. Michael is working on, unfortunately for him, pantomime season in his uh, theatre job, in his day job. So for a number of reasons, we feel uh, we would be putting unsustainable pressure on ourselves to try and record and certainly put out another bunch of episodes during December. And um, we think it is more sensible to come back after Christmas when everybody is sort of a little bit uh, festived out and looking ahead to some more contemplation of masculinity. 
Yes, absolutely. To confirm, neither Mark, myself, nor Coop, our lovely editor, will be putting out for the month of December. Um, we'll be back in January and we'll finish off the episodes up to episode 50, which will be a super special guest, um, which most of you probably will have guessed, but it's going to be a secret and we're going to build up towards that. So we will be back in the new year. Um, we'll miss you terribly. But in the meantime, there is another way you can find Mark's voice in your ears should you be feeling bereft, isn't there? Well, yes, I am releasing this audio book, which is on Audible, um, this very week. It comes out on Wednesday, and I'm doing an event to uh, promote it and chat a little bit about it. On Tuesday, you can find details of all of that on my Twitter. Um, as I said last week, it does touch on some of the sort of stuff that we talk about in this podcast, I think, um, masculinity and its many frailties and vulnerabilities. I should also say, we've built up quite a backlog of episodes now, um, quite a back catalogue, and there might be some you didn't bother to listen to. So <laughs> see this as an opportunity to catch up, basically. We fully expect all of you to have listened to every last bloody second. And while we're on that, I know you, dear listener, dear reader, you right now, uh, we have had less uh, reviews on <laughs> on Apple Podcasts than we have listeners. So if you do feel like over the Christmas period that your thumbs need something to do for a good couple of minutes, feel free to give us five stars. It'll really make our day. Oh, yeah, we've had, I mean, we had loads of nice reviews, but it's miles fewer than we have done. So there were lots and lots of people there not <laughs> pulling their weight, despite Michael's increasingly desperate weekly entreaties. Please use this three to four week break to do what Michael begs every week and uh, shower <laughs> online praise upon us. Yes, please. And do follow us on the socials at Menkind Podcast. And if you want to reach out to us, you can at menkindpodcast at gmail.com. We'll still be on the socials and keep an eye on your podcast feeds because you might get a little couple of festive treats. Yes. Enjoy the break and see you on the other side. We love you. See you in 2022. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 